Our message for today is called, Are You For Real? Are You For Real? Fakes have been around since the beginning of time, since people figured out that when you have a genuine product that's worth a lot of money, that if you can make it cheap and put the same name on it and make it look the same, you can make a lot of money. It's been around for thousands of years. Thousands of years that people have been making imitations. Sometimes, I don't have a whole lot of time to do this, but occasionally when I have a little bit of time, I sit down and I watch a little clip from a show called The Best of Pawn Stars. And on this, they bring in items you know, that people want to sell that they think are worth money. And you wouldn't believe how many times somebody brings in something that is a coin or a valuable item or a signed item, somebody's signature, and they have to have it analyzed and tell the person, sorry, that's fake. That's not real. It's not what you thought that it was. I looked this up in 2017. The U.S. Customs and Border Protection recorded their stats and said that they destroyed 34,000 143 cargo shipments of fake items in 2017, coming into the United States with a value of $1.21 billion of faked merchandise. Top three things, you could probably guess them, clothes, shoes, and watches. Watches. When you have an item like a Rolex that is worth thousands and thousands of dollars, like I said, if you can make a fake, that looks real, you can make a lot of money without spending a lot. Which one's the real one? It might be harder to see in the big picture. You can tell when you have them to compare side by side up close that one of them, the one on the right, the texting is not as clear, it's a little blurry. The, the, in the gra engraving and stuff, it doesn't shine the same. It's darker. The one on the right is fake. The one on the left is real. Our verse for today, we're again, we're looking at Romans 12, carrying on with Romans 12, and we're not talking about the piracy industry. This is not our sermon for today. But today we're delving back into Romans 12, and the key thought from this is Romans 12, verse 9. In the beginning of that verse, says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. And in your King James, it might say, it says without dissimulation in the King James. That means real. Let your love be real or let it be genuine. When I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about fruits. The whole point that we're going to look into today is really how to apply this to our lives for us. It's not so much how can we look at somebody else's life and figure out if they're fake or real. So let's take this sermon and apply it to our own heart this morning. But Jesus talked in Matthew 7, and we're not going to read the verses today, but he talked in Matthew 7 about fruit and how you can tell somebody by the fruit that their life produces. The fakes will be revealed in time, if not here on earth, in heaven. I was very saddened by a story earlier this week or last. I found out it was old news from a few months ago, but I just heard of it of a very prominent Christian leader who died last year, and he had a tremendous following. Many people listened to him. But it came out after his death that he was into many abusive and bad things, and his Christianity was a cover-up for his life. It was such a sad story to me. I'm glad that 
a fake was revealed, I guess, but it's so hard. Millions and millions of people followed him. Millions of people were affected by that news that came out. It doesn't matter how amazing that a person preaches behind a pulpit. It doesn't matter really how talented a musician is, how accurate a prophet seems, how capable a craftsman is. You can apply this to any area of life. What matters the most is what fruit does their life produce. Are they a genuine follower? This man was an amazing speaker, but his life was a cover-up in many ways for his abusive habits towards women. I was also thinking, what is it that makes an apple tree an apple tree? Can you answer that question? What makes an apple tree an apple tree? That's what I thought too. Is it apples that make it an apple tree? Or does it make apples because it's an apple tree? Which one is it? Is it an apple tree even if it doesn't have apples? But an apple tree should make apples. We're not Christians because of the things we do, but the things that we do should come from being a Christian. That's the fine points. And in our whole series on Romans 12, you could look at this list and you could say, these are things to do, you know, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. What does a true Christian do? What are the true marks of a Christian? But the real point is, and Paul starts with it in Romans 12 in this list, let it be genuine. Let it come from who you are. Don't try to do all these outward things while inside you're somebody totally different. Be a genuine follower of Christ. Jesus in John chapter 15 and verse 5, he was talking to his followers and he said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So how does a Christian bear a lot of fruit? By trying really hard to do the works or by being connected to the vine? Connected to the vine. That's what Jesus told his followers. The fruit is very, very important. We'll look at that real soon. But Jesus said, you have to be connected to me. It's important. You cannot be a genuine follower of Jesus unless you are part of the vine is the, Im the, the image that Jesus gave here. So it's not as much that we need to work harder to do the things that a Christian does as it is that we need to be connected to the vine who is Christ. And this and only this will cause genuine works to flow through us. And then Jesus said in John 15, verse 8, John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruits, and so prove to be my disciples. So the fruit is the proof of the genuine Christian. Now, I'm pretty sure a story has been shared from this pulpit, or I've heard it elsewhere anyways, but I think it's here too, of somebody who had a tree in their yard, and uh, they wanted to make that tree look really mature and really pretty, and they went out and they hung a whole lot of fake apples on that tree. Do you remember that story? <laughs> and uh, you could look at that tree and go, that is an amazing looking tree. But you wouldn't want it to eat one of the apples because it wasn't real. They were plastic. <laughs> Not a good apple tree. But Jesus said, you bear much fruit and then so prove to be my disciples by the true fruit that comes out of our lives. Again, it is an apple tree because, or it produces apples because it is an apple tree. 
And we're Christians because we're connected to Christ. And so these things in Romans 12 should flow out of us. And we're going to look at a few different areas of letting our love be genuine as Christians. What does a genuine love look like? And Paul gives us several of these in Romans 12. And just before we get to those, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18, make sure I don't skip over this. 1 John 3, 18, the Apostle John says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So he's saying, let it not just be a, a, a talking point. Your Christian life, let it not just be a talking point. Let it be indeed the things that you do and truth. Let it be that the things you're saying, they are actually the truth of how you are living and what's coming out of you. So in Romans chapter 12, we're going to start looking in verse 10. Romans 12 and verse 10. And again, the theme verse was there in verse 9a. Let your love be genuine. So verse 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. We'll get to the second half of the verse in a little bit. Love one another with brotherly affection. And this first point of genuine love is our it needs to be an affectionate love, I'll call that. And if you look up the word and what it means in the original, it means cherishing one's kindred, especially parents or children. So this is like a family sort of love. Let your love be like family love. It signifies a readiness or an inclination, a natural way of loving somebody. It's the most natural kind of love, right, that a parent and ch child have toward each other. We see it the easiest with small children and their view of their parents. Do you remember being a young child and thinking that your parent was amazing? Thinking they could do anything, never questioning whether they could provide for you or protect you. These, this is a family sort of a love, an unquestioning, a, just a natural loving sort of love. And most parents also have this kind of love for their children, a natural desire to care for them. I say most most do. So this kind of love looks out for a family member. It does what's best for them. It checks in on them, gives time to them or money to them or many other things for them, is patient with them, and on and on and on. A natural love within a family. Not ever done perfectly in a natural family, but that is, that is the goal uh, inside of a family. We as believers are supposed to have that same genuine love for other believers in our family, in our, we call it a church family, the Christians that we are personally surrounded by, that we know personally. We're to have that family sort of natural love for one another. And it says one another, which is great, because just as we are to love others in this way, we can, we can know that we are also loved in this way, as part of the family of God. And that's a wonderful thing. So genuine fruit is looking out for others in a church family, an affectionate sort of family love. The second half of verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. Makes it sound like a competition. Outdo each other in showing honor. But if it was a competition... That would probably lead to pride for the victor, which would kind of defeat the purpose. Hmm. But it's talking about showing one another tremendous honor. It's not even talking about like a whole group of people teaming up to be like, I'm going to beat you at showing a third party honor, a pastor, a leader, or somebody from the church or something. It's 
It's honoring each other in a relationship in the body of Christ. Like trying your best to lift others up, to encourage them, to be there for them. Now, the Apostle Paul said over in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, we'll get to that later, but that is key for this. It takes humility to honor others. Matthew Henry said this about Romans chapter 12, verse 10. He said, if we know our own hearts, we know more evil by ourselves than we do by anyone else in the world. We should be forward to take notice of the gifts and graces and performances of our brethren and value them accordingly. Be more forward to praise another and more pleased to hear another praised than ourselves. If we recognize our own hearts, that's what his, his starting point is. A kind of honoring love, it's not something that has to be strived for. It's something that flows out of a humble heart. So the genuine fruit here of a, a believer is a love that serves others, that honors them, that offers help, that asks how they're doing. It makes it others-focused rather than self-focused. It shows respect by speaking highly of others to their face and highly of others to their back as well, both. It builds others up. As Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. This kind of love builds up other believers. And it does it even in the small things. And even when nobody else is watching, it is an honoring love. And Paul says in Romans 12 verse 13, on the next point, Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And I call this one a liberal love, a liberal love or, or a giving love. If the word liberal hits you the wrong way, a giving sort of a love that we have for others. I can't talk about this topic without thinking of two specific people, and I will honor them today. One of those is Angeline. She talks often about having a bountiful eye. And she did a video recently, right, on having a bountiful eye. And so I think of that. And I think of somebody else here who says anytime that something, a need comes up, they say, it's just money. You can't take it with you anyways. And that's Jesse Poe. So you've been honored today. But that's an example of a liberal love, a love that sees a need and a love that says, I will give, I will help. What can I do? James said in James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is it to see the need that somebody else has when you can meet that need and say, be blessed, go, when you can actually physically help that person out? The Apostle John said it this way in 1 John 3, verse 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So if you see a need that another Christian has, it's a, you, know, you see an immediate need right there, but you close your heart against it. Mm. 
That's not the love of God, is what the Apostle John is saying. And the Apostle Paul said, the true love, the genuine love of a believer contributes to the needs of the saints and seeks to show hospitality. Matthew Henry, I did study him a bit for this message, so you'll find some of these thoughts in his commentary as well. But he said, it is but a mock love which rests in the verbal expressions of kindness and respect while the wants of our brethren call for real supplies, and it is in the power of our hands to furnish them. It's a mock love. He's saying that's a fake love. It's not a genuine love to just talk well about helping other people out, but and actually never to do it yourself. That's not a real love. Paul said in Galatians 6 verse 10, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So whatever power lies within us, do good to those who are around us. Do good to others. More often than not, when we become aware of a need and we are able to meet that need, I say more often than not, God intends us to meet it. If we're aware of it and we can help. I think that's a default position and there are exceptions and there are times when God says, don't step in, don't take care of that. But that's not the default as we talked about a few weeks ago. The default is there's a need. Okay, Lord, I'm going to help in this need. Redirect me if you don't want me to. Now, the Apostle Paul said here, he closed that verse in verse 13. He said, with our um, seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. Jesus said, you know, the, in the, the parable, the, the story of the sheep, and the goats, one of the things specifically he said was, I was a stranger and you took me in. I was a stranger and you took me in. What is that? Hospitality. And sometimes the simplest form of this loving way of taking care of the needs or blessing somebody else is inviting somebody to share together with something you already have. You've already got it and you say, hey, I can help with that. I have it. Come join me. I'll share what I have with you. I will share. I will bless you with what I have. That is genuine fruit. Let your love be genuine. Romans 12, verse 15. Paul brings out another point on this. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is a sympathizing love, a sympathizing love. It was actually this verse that sparked my whole looking into Romans 12 and doing uh, this series, just looking at some thoughts from Romans 12, and I, Romans 12, and I was really impacted with many of the thoughts here, but this was the first one that started it, and it was a few months back, and there was a lot of, of unrest, I think would be a good way of calling it, in our country. It was very divided. There was murders going on. There were riots happening. And, and it felt like our nation lost its heart because amongst all that, people were arguing with each other. Um, and instead of being sympathizing, even Christians were doing that. And even when sympathy was expressed, it often felt disingenuous. It felt politically motivated. And we're not getting into politics this morning. But Christians should be less about taking sides in a conflict than they are about sympathizing with those who have been affected by the conflict. That's the point of a sympathizing love, a weeping with those who weep and a rejoicing with those who rejoice. 
In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, Paul says, if, mem- if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We do it together. We are the body of Christ. We're in it together. Here and even around the world, even globally, as Christians, we are the body of Christ. Genuine love will cause us to take an interest in the sorrows and the joys of others. And these are a couple questions that I was asking myself in this. Do I envy somebody who rejoices at something that's going well for them? When I hear of something going well for somebody, what's in my heart? Is is it a joy for them or is it an envy that they're having something better than I am? Or am I thankful that something's not happening to me when I hear of something going bad for somebody else? Am I thankful? Those are the wrong perspectives. But it's easy to do, isn't it? Even with little boy Matthias this morning that we prayed for, I have little boys. It's an easy perspective to say, Lord, touch him and heal him and thank you that it's not me. That's easy. But the true perspective is to weep with those who weep, to to join hands together with those who are going through difficulty and who are going through exaltation or great times, to, to have a heart that sympathizes with others. Romans 12, verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. And this I call united love, united love. The King James says, be of the same mind one toward another. And as we read in the ESV and the NLT also says, live in harmony. And I love that thought of harmony for those who are musically inclined. Harmony is not the same note. Harmony is different, but harmony sounds good. If it's done right, it sounds good. And it goes well together. Have you ever been around people who were fighting? Verbally, fighting. Okay. How did that make you feel? Would you say it sounded nice, that it was harmonious, or was it grating? How does it make you feel when you hear somebody else's argument? Well, I'll tell you, it doesn't make me feel nice. (laughs) I don't like it. Not even when my own kids are doing it in my house. That's one of the hardest things being a parent is hearing your children not getting along. It's grating. It's not harmonious. And the Bible tells us as believers to live in harmony with one another. We're not going to be the same note. We're going to be different. We're going to have different opinions on certain things. And many times that's okay as long as you agree with me. I'm kidding. (laughs) There are certain things as Christians that we need to always agree on, that Jesus came to earth as the son of God, that he died, that he gave his life for us, and that we are believers because of him. We absolutely agree on that. There are other things, even even some, some less major, let's put it that way, biblical concepts, some political things or health things, or all sorts of things that we can get get in a knot about and have an opinion on and think everybody should agree with us. But at the end of the day, as believers, those aren't the things that really matter. And it's okay to have different opinions and ideas on those things. 
And we can still love one another as Christians, even though we may not agree on every, everything, absolutely everything. I guarantee there's nobody in this room that agrees with me on every single point that I believe. That would be extremely rare. Even my wife and I have some differences. They are few and far between, but we do have different perspectives. It happens with everybody. And so that's Paul's point with this genuine love. You should be able to love somebody as a fellow Christian, a fellow person, even though you don't see eye to eye on everything. You should be able to love them. It shouldn't be your opinion that takes the preeminence over their life because you believe a certain way about something. Matthew Henry said, labor as much as you can to agree in apprehension. And where, which apprehension, I believe, means like in your thoughts. Like work as hard as you can to agree, but wherein you come short of this, agree in affection. So if you're not agreeing in your thinking, agree in your love for, for one another, for other Christians. Endeavor to be all one, not affecting the clash and contradict and thwart one another, but keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So you can disagree with someone and still love them, you can have a civil discussion with somebody about something that you don't agree on without belittling them or their viewpoint. And at the end of the day, ask yourself if it was really worth arguing about anyways. So the question for each of us is, do I generally get along well with others despite having different viewpoints or do I find myself needing to argue to be right? Genuine love and the genuine fruit seeks to live in harmony with others even ones that we don't necessarily fully agree with. Romans 12, 16, the rest of the verse says, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And I call this a condescending love, or a love that really doesn't matter somebody's position in life, whether they are above you or whether they are below you. It is a love that reaches all regardless of that. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he gave us a tremendous example to teach us brotherly love. And it showed us that to love one another properly is to being willing to stoop to the lowest place for the good of somebody else. He was the master, the teacher, the Messiah, and yet he washed the feet of his disciples so when Paul said, do not be haughty, or in the King James, it says, mind not the high things. That's speaking to our, our internal motives or our goals of not being ambitious towards being honored over others or preferred over others, to enjoy that within our own heart. And King David he was the king of all Israel, right? He was the king of the land. He was in a tremendous position. But when he was in that prestigious place, this is what he said in Psalms 131, verse 1. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Even his perspective of himself was not to enjoy the honoring of his position. And I think that's one of the things that made him a tremendous king because he cared for the people. He didn't see himself as the king of the greatest king of the greatest king of the greatest nation of God's people and the greatest king who would ever live or whatever. He, he cared for people in a great and practical way. So do not be haughty. And then Paul says, associate with the lowly 
or in the King James, condescend to people of low estate. Low estate. Condescend to people of low estate. So it can mean a couple things here. First, it can mean to be brought to low estate ourselves. It can mean to be content no matter what we have physically. Matthew Henry says this, we must account nothing below us but sin. So in other words, nothing is below us as a believer except sin needs to always stay below us. Stoop to mean habitations, mean fare, mean clothing, mean accommodations, mean here not being unkind, means being, mean being an old English way of saying lowly. So steep to, stoop to very low habitations, low fare, low clothing, low accommodations when they are our lot and not grudge. So be okay with whatever thing happens in our life physically. Don't stoop to sin ever. So it can mean that, associate with the lowly. Be willing like these natural things, they don't really matter at the end of the day. What matters is our genuine heart as a follower of Christ. Now it can also mean here to associate with those of low estate, those who have less than us or who are different than us. We're reading a book as a family called Wonder. It's a very interesting book. It's a novel. It's not a true story, but I'm sure this story does happen in the real world. And it's about a boy who has a very deformed face. And he doesn't go to school in this book, in the story, until he's in fifth grade. And when he goes to school, it's interesting. He's, he's introduced to the different kids who are around. And some kids are really nice. Some are really nice in front of the grown-ups and really mean when no grown-up is around. And some kids are just unkind all the time. I was thinking about the example that the book gave of his life with this thought of condescending to people of low estate or condescending to people that have it tougher than we do. Somebody who was born with a completely deformed face has it tougher than all of us here as far as how people view them. And yet, there was one young man in this book, I think his name was Jack, if I remember right, um, who, who didn't care what other people thought. And he was a popular kid, but he reached out to this young man. He sat with him in classes. He purposely, when nobody else would sit at him, nobody else would look at him, he would sit next to him, he would talk to him. That was an example of genuine love, no matter what somebody else is like. Tremendous example. Again, it's a novel. So it's not a true story, but we can learn from it, I believe, as well. How we should be with other people. No matter how poor somebody is, no matter how dirty somebody is, no matter if they have some physical deformity, no matter, no matter, no matter, they're still, if they're a believer, they are a fellow Christian and somebody that we can genuinely love and care for and reach out to. It says in Psalms 119, verse 63, in the New Living Translation, it says, I am a friend to anyone who fears you, anyone who obeys your commandments. Psalms 119, 63. It doesn't matter their, anything else in their life. If the, the psalmist here is saying, if they fear God and they obey God, I am their friend. That's the true Christian perspective. I am their friend because they are a follower of Christ. Matthew Henry, again, to quote him one more time, says, true love values grace in rags as well as in scarlet. A jewel is a jewel, though it lie in the dirt. It's still a jewel. It doesn't matter the physical circumstances of that person's life. 
If they are a Christian, they're a Christian. So this condescending love, how am I at being humble? Ask yourself that question. How am I doing at being humble? Well, I want to take a minute to tell you how good I am at it. That misses it, doesn't it? I find my kids doing that. Lessons in life that we work through. Wasn't it really good, Dad, when I did this and I did that and I helped here? And yeah, that was really good, son. But let somebody else proclaim your goodness. Those are lessons we all can learn sometimes, right? So the genuine fruit of this is a humble love for somebody that condescends to somebody else, even if they are of a lower estate, as the Bible says in King James, than we are. So, are you for real? Am I for real? The last sermon we had that question, how's your boat? So we have another question today. Am I for real? This is a sermon, as I said, not to analyze the life of somebody else, not to say, oh, I know that person and they're talking like this in church and then I see them out around other people and they're not living what they talk. That's not the point of the sermon today. I don't think that helps us to grow. Am I for real? As a believer, am I real in my walk with the Lord? Is there a genuine love flowing out of me because I am connected to the vine? That is how it happens, is being connected to Christ, to be in right relationship with the Lord. That is how this genuine love flows out of us. And if we find it a lot of work to be like this, then the issue is not to work harder, although I don't know that that's necessarily wrong, to try to work harder at being more genuine, but it's to be more connected to the vine because then the fruit will come forth out of who we are. It will be a natural production out of us because we are connected to our Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll just take a little bit and we'll close in prayer and we'll make this a call between you and the Lord, between me and the Lord today. Do I have trouble with genuine love? Do I have trouble with, uh, with maybe affectionate love, but I'm withdrawn from caring for the family of God? Do I have trouble with an honoring love? I have a hard time seeing the good in other people and in building them up. Do I have trouble with a liberal love? I have tar- a hard time with giving what I have to help others. Do I have trouble with a sympathizing love that I have envy at others' good or relief when bad things aren't happening to me? Do I have trouble with a united love? I'm prone to arguing or prone to having to be right. Do I have trouble with a condescending love? I have pride issues in my own heart. And again, the cure for any of these, for any of us, is to be connected to the vine. So if one of these things spoke to you, just take that to the Lord right now, and then we'll close in prayer. Father, we come before you today, Lord, and the one, as I'm praying here about it, Lord, is sympathizing love. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to have sympathy and compassion on others, Lord, no matter what they're going through, whether good or bad. Lord, help me to be genuine, to be real in that area, Lord, of 
of sympathy, of caring and concern, oh God. And I just pray for each of us, Lord, with each of these areas, these, I guess they're signs of having a genuine love. Lord, I pray most of all that you would help each of our love to be genuine and help us to be connected to you as the vine and not, not solely focused on doing the works of a Christian, but to be connected to you as our Christ, as our Messiah, as the one that we want to be like, as the one that we love, as the one that we want to spend time with and to study. And, and all these areas, Lord, help us to be connected to you as the vine. And Lord, help these things to flow naturally from us. Help us to be genuine believers, Lord. I pray that none of us would ever be fake. Help us to be real as we follow you and as we love you and we seek to love those who are around us as well. Thank you for these words to us, Lord. And thank you that you are genuine, that you are always real, that you can always be counted on and, and um, can be trusted. In your name, amen.